good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to Inside the Writer's Studio, the podcast where we talk with writers about their lives, their craft, their business, and their latest work. I'm your host, Charlie Lovett, and our podcast is sponsored by Bookmarks. Bookmarks is a literary nonprofit whose programs include the largest annual book festival in the Carolinas. Come visit Bookmarks at our community gathering space and nonprofit independent bookstore in downtown Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Today, I'm sitting down at my home with Miss Anne B. Ross, author of the popular Miss Julia series, including the latest installment, Miss Julia Takes the Wheel. And welcome to Winston-Salem, and welcome to Inside the Writer Studio. Thank you. There are books in which you have an ordinary hero or heroine who sort of saves the world from disaster or finds a serial killer or wins the world championship in something. But your books are about what one reviewer called everyday matters, which I love. <laughs> I do too. Um, since everyday matters are what occupy most of us every day, do you think they are as important a subject to write about as things that are unusual or heroic? Well, Jane Austen thought so. Mm -hmm. She wrote the comedy of manners yeah. or what they entitled Comedy of Manners, and it's about just a group of people and their everyday problems and the things they think about. I don't compare myself to Jane Austen. Please don't misunderstand, <laughs> but, but that's the type of thing. I mean, I don't, without necessarily doing any comparisons, though, I think it's fair to say that you write in that tradition of, you that's know, good way these, to put these, it. Are the, yes. these are the things that are going on in the lives of real, ordinary people. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Mm. Um, on a similar note, and this it always strikes this strikes me when I am talking to somebody who has been as commercially successful as you have, and some of our other guests. Um, your books have a very large readership; they're very popular. But popular is this word that sometimes the literary establishment uses with its nose in the air as, as sort of a uh, meaning not one of us. Um, what do you see as the relationship between popular and literary? I'm so glad you asked that. I had a wonderful literature professor, mm -hmm. and he made a real case for the worth of popular literature. Now, I know what real literature is, great literature, because I have degrees in literature, mm -hmm. and so mine is not that. But there is a place for popular literature, yeah. and that's what people read most, mostly every day. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, to me, what you just said sort of hits the nail on the head, that if somebody's reading a book, any book, instead of not reading a book, then that book yes. is important. That's, ex that's yeah. a good way to put it, yeah. yes. Um, I, I've kind of delved into this a little bit. My, my new, I've written a novel about Jane Austen, and a oh, novel that ooh, um, had something to do with William Shakespeare and Charles Dickens. And, uh, but my latest novel sort of explores the world of these early 20th century children's series books, which you and I probably grew up on, Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys and some of oh, these books. interesting. And, but, I, but I think about them in the same way that none of us are going to argue that they are Charles Dickens or Jane Austen, but how many of us got excited about reading because of a book that was popular? Yeah, you know? and learned something from them, too. Yeah. yeah. You, know? oh. you chose to write the Miss Julia books in the first person. And I understand how writing in the first person shapes the relationship between the character and the reader. But how does that choice to write in the first person, how has that shaped your relationship with mm. your character, Miss Julia? Ooh, that is a question. You know, I never, I never, I don't remember making that decision. Mm -hmm. it, she was speaking through me, or 
I was speaking for, I don't know. But when I started that first book, the first page, the words just came, mm -hmm. and that's where it stayed. So I, I, and I know also they look down on first-person novels. That's beginner's style, they say. Mm -hmm. But this works for me, and it's as if she, I'm, chan I hate to use that word, but channeling her because yeah. it just comes out, yeah. and I don't really have to think about it. And yet I, I used to get the question all the time, are you Miss Julia? And I no, 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 I am not, you know. <laughs> but uh, but um, she started speaking almost immediately when I thought of yeah. thought her. It's it's interesting that she spoke to you in 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 that way. Yes. I, but I also feel that it is a way that makes your readers feel like they have a personal relationship that she's speaking they directly seem to them. To. They really yeah. seem to. I'm always amazed when I go on these tours, and they they people come up and tell me. This woman last night came up. She, was, she said, I lost my husband six months ago, and I thought I'd never get over it. And your books have helped me so Isn't much. Isn't that wonderful? It's yeah. wonderful, yeah. but I don't understand it. But I think yeah. that's, to me, that's one of the amazing things about writing. And I've had that same experience. I had, wrote a novel that was about a widower, and I have had people come to me and say the same, mm -hmm. same thing. <laughs> and that was never my intention, but that's the beautiful thing about it. I think any kind of art is that once you set it free in the world... It can accomplish things that you never dreamed about. Well, obviously that is that is true, but it is it maybe maybe it takes them out of their world, yeah. and that's what yeah. what they mean. Yeah. And so. I think that that first person narrative makes them feel like they have a friend. You know? Oh yes, yeah. which yes. is which may be why they keep asking you, "Are you Miss Julia?" <laughs> because they so. they want to meet their friend. <laughs> <laughs> there are now twenty novels in this yes. series, but when you wrote the first novel. Did did you anticipate that you were writing a series, or were you just sitting no, down to write a novel? Yeah. I hadn't even thought about it, and when that, I just wanted. I thought I had said everything I had to say in that first one mm -hmm. with that character, and when the agent called and said they're going to buy it and they want three more, mm. well, I I didn't know what to do because I didn't. I wasn't sure I had three more. Yeah. But so far, so good. So far, Keeps so good. Coming. <laughs> so, how does how does your approach differ now, if, as you sit down to write this this latest novel, Miss Julia Takes the Wheel? Um, uh, how is that a different approach from when you sat down with a blank sheet of paper and just started the first novel? Well, the first one, of course, I, I had no idea that anybody would read it, even look at it, mm -hmm. and it took me about two years because I didn't dedicate myself to it. Sure. But now I know I've got to get one done in a year. And uh, even though I sit down and don't have any idea of what this book's going to be about, I know if I start, it'll come. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I like to start with dialogue, and then something seems yeah. to happen yeah. with that. So you don't start out with an outline or with the notion of No, of and that makes me feel like I'm not a real writer. <laughs> well, you know, I've had this discussion with, with a lot of writers who sort of fall at a Various places on the spectrum. You know? Yeah. Um, John Grisham told me, Charlie, you've got to you've got to write from an outline, and other people have said, Oh, I couldn't possibly work from an outline. So I think it's it's a question of what works for you as a as yeah. a creator. Yeah, you know? I'm sure. Do you do you work from? I don't usually work from a full outline. I'll have an idea of where I'm going, mm -hmm. uh, but not much idea of how I'm going to get there. <laughs> Sometimes. No, I understand uh, that because a lot of my books, I I know how I want it to end. And that's really helpful because you can work toward that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times I don't know how it's going to end. Yeah. So, but you know now you know your characters in a way that you didn't when you started writing that I, I, that yeah, first novel. Does that 
do you think that makes it easier to write, or does it make it harder because now you, you don't have the world of options open to you? you know? Yeah, mm, I hadn't thought of it that way. I, I would say it makes it easier because I know uh, you need conflict, and sure. you've got to have yeah. conflict yeah. somewhere. And so knowing them the way I know, I can maybe strike up something between two or three, so on. Yeah. Um, I realize I write a lot about marital problems. But <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's because we all have them. Well, I mean, I think that's it. I think we go to go back about what they that reviewer said about everyday matters. That's, yes. that's there are things that we all experience, which is that's why true. people can can connect to mm -hmm. to your characters and what they're going through because it's <laughs> not all of us have saved the world, but but most of us have been in relationships and that's true. Driven a car yes. and you know yes. Um, uh, as authors, we now live in this age that, uh, you know, I think in some ways is unlike any other. And that, as you just said, we get to see so many of our readers face to face um, on a regular basis. And you you see fans when you're out on your book tour. Do you do you feel like you have a, a typical reader when you see those lines of people standing to get their books signed? It, what, what do those lines look like? Yeah. Well, every, every time I'm set up to go somewhere, I worry that I'll be the only one there. Mm -hmm. and, and and so when I see all these faces, it, it just sings me up. Yeah. I just, yeah. I, but I'm amazed. I wouldn't go out to see a writer. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that they do, I truly appreciate it. Yeah. Do you, when you're sitting down to write, uh, do you have sort of an imaginary reader in your head that you're talking to or? No, no, no I have the characters in my head. Yeah. And I, I see them and what they're doing or what they might do or whatever. And I just hope it comes out. <laughs> right. And have your, has your relationship with your fans, your interaction with them affected Miss Julia at all? Do they ever I don't, I hadn't thought. ask you to send her in certain directions? Or Oh, oh, oh yeah. I, I get emails, you know, Miss Julia ought to take a cruise. <laughs> Why didn't Miss Julia sponsor a Boy Scout troop? Yeah. And go camping. No. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Abbotsville for a minute. You you create a world in these books that is this comforting place for your readers to return to. How much of that world is based on your own observation of small town life in North Carolina, and how much of it is extrapolated from that? Yeah, very very much so. I I live in Hendersonville, and Abbotsville is. Um, semi-based on where a couple of streets inter intersect. It's sort of like Hendersonville was 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not, not as big, not as populated, um, but it kind of grounds me to have that in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. Do you, does, it, does Abbotsville have any particular precedence in your own past? Did you live in smaller towns in the past? Or? No, it's where I live now. Always so been there, yeah. In the, yeah. People, I think people relate to Miss Julia very directly, and I think one of the reasons is we see so much of ourselves in her. Now, you said you're not her, no, but but <laughs> where did she where did she come from? What, I have what? no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, I I've told this on tour many times, but she she just appeared to me in my mind. Um, she and this little boy walking hand in hand down a down a sidewalk. Mm -hmm. And um, she d looked to me like she was very uncomfortable with that child, and I couldn't figure out who the child was. It couldn't be; she was too old for it to be her child. 
And I knew immediately that she had no children because she was so stiff and uncomfortable with this little boy. Mm -hmm. So it took me a while to figure out who the little boy was and why he would be with her when she obviously didn't want him to be. So when I figured out who he was, that's when it just kind of opened then, up Then you had a story. Everything. Yeah. yeah. It's, it amazes me how often I've heard stories like that. And for me, Anne and I are sitting in this room full of Lewis Carroll things. You can't see this on the, on the podcast. But um, and, and he tells a very famous story about the genesis of his poem, The Hunting of the Snark. And he says, I was out walking one day, and a, and a solitary line of verse popped into my head. For the snark was a boudram, you see, and that turns out to be the last line of the of this sort of epic nonsense poem. But it amazes me how often, as writers, we have that experience that we have an image or a line that we don't know what it means. And he said the same thing that you said. He said, "I didn't know what it meant." Yeah. Well, you uh, know, C.S. Lewis says the Narnia books began with the image of these three children under a street light with the snow falling, and they had umbrellas. Mm -hmm. And that's the way the Narnia books started. Yeah, and of course that's that's I think is one of the illustrations in yeah. that first book is of the of the children under the under the lamppost with, yeah. with their umbrellas. Um, well, we're here to talk. Uh, we've been talking about a lot of things, but I want to be sure we talk about your new book in just <laughs> oh, a little bit. Okay, thank you. Um, it's called Miss Julia Takes the Wheel, and I, you know, looking at the front cover of this book, um, I'll describe it for our listeners in case they haven't seen it. Um, we have an illustration of this sort of cozy book-lined room. There's a cup of tea on the table, and then there's these two, um, I think, sort of rather ominous things in, in the on the front cover um, that don't seem quite to fit in. And one of them is a stethoscope. It's next to the cup of tea. And the other one I might not think of ominous if I didn't know the title of the book, but that is that there's this gray car parked outside. Everything else is very colorful, and the car is very gray. Mm -hmm. um, tell us about how that cover art relates to what's going on inside oh, the book. I, oh, I can tell you how it relates. And just don't. The art department comes up with these things. Yeah, it always yeah. amazes me. Uh, well, the the main plot, I guess, I, and I'm a very poor potter, plotter, um, but is about a new doctor in town. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's where the stethoscope comes in. Right. And he gets into a lot of medical monkey business. But the new, the old car is um, Lloyd's first car. And he's not very happy about it, as you can imagine. If you, And I tell people when I speak on tour that please do not write me and tell me that you don't believe a 1998 Pontiac Bonneville <laughs> with uh, 410,000 miles on it is still on the road because it is. It's on the road in Hendersonville as well as Abbotsville. Yeah, yeah. So that that was kind of fun to to uh, work with Lloyd and uh, him getting his new car. Yeah, yeah. Which he doesn't like, of course. <laughs> so. Is, has Miss Julia been a driver prior to? Because in, in in the it was the, yeah the first book she has not done a lot of driving. Okay, and she drives down the mountain to Greenville, mm -hmm. and that's a trip because she is not accustomed to traffic. She's not accustomed to interstate. But now by the twentieth book she she drives pretty well. Yeah. Publishers Weekly writes that you, this is a quote from their review, you elevate everyday matters to high comedy while painting beautifully drawn characters with wit and sympathy. Gracious, I hadn't read that. Isn't that nice? Don't you love it? Yes. You, um, how do you, but how do you maintain that balance between comedy and sympathy? How do you, how do you make sure that as readers we're laughing 
with your characters rather than, than making fun of them or, or writing, laughing at them? Charlie, I do not know. <laughs> I really do not. It's amazing to me that the books have lasted this long yeah. and that so many people seem to like them. Um, I just, I don't know how it happens. And when you're, and do you, do you think of your comedy as, it, it, because several other people have said that these books are funny. Do, do you feel like it's situational that you're creating situations that, that create comic or are there, are there witty characters? How, how do you like to develop a, a comic situation? Well, it, it just sort of comes out, but it, I get a lot of emails from readers who say, Miss Julia has said exactly what I've been thinking. Mm. Mm-hmm. So somehow or another, what she, how she views things and what she says about them rings a bell with the readers. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a funny person. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and so I don't know where this comes yeah. from, but when I sit down, it starts pouring out. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> I mean, I think that notion of Miss Julia saying what I'm thinking, it gets back, and we've sort of touched on this already, but um, the elevation of the ordinary and, and to be able to write about something that says that just because your life is ordinary doesn't mean it's not important, it's not right. special, it's not worth writing a novel yes. about or yeah. painting a painting about or anything else. Maybe that's what you, Well, people a lot of times they come and say, where do you get all your ideas? Or they usually say, all oh, your crazy ideas. You know? <laughs> but, you know, if you look around, they're there. Yeah. I, somebody can just say something in passing and it'll... Sing me up and be something. So you say you're, you, th- you think you're not a funny person. Do, you, do no. your friends think you're a funny person? or But your comic sensibility is only on the page. I think it's only on the page. Interesting. Yeah. 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 So one word that comes up again and again in descriptions of your books, and, and this is something that I've, I, I sort of struggle with myself to understand. I've lived in the South almost my entire life. Mm-hmm. I've written books while I was living in the South. Some of those books have got big sections of them that take place in the South, but nobody's ever called me a Southern writer, and probably nobody ever will call me a Southern writer. But your books get called Southern. What do you, what's the difference between a Southern writer and just a writer who happens to live in the South? Gosh, that, that's a good final exam question. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you, how you do that, but I guess... They designate a, a southern writer by using dialect, mm-hmm. maybe, mm-hmm. and um, or set in a small town. Uh, and and this is uh, it. It is still strange to me that I get letters and emails from people all over the country, mm-hmm. and I I can see how it would appeal to people in the South. But I, I'm really amazed that they seem to appeal to people all over the country. Yeah. So I don't know what makes it, but I think dialect has a has a lot to do with it, I, or using um, um, old-fashioned terms and so on that we've like grown the, up the with. Like the idioms that we've grown up with. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think, and, and maybe the emails that you get from all over the country are sort of an answer to this question, but. Do you think there's an essential difference between a small town in the South and a small town in Colorado or California or Illinois? That's good. I don't know because I've never lived anywhere except in the South. Um, Probably not, but they would have different. I don't know. Yeah. 
I, I just I, I find it fascinating that there there's a group of writers in North Carolina that are writers who happen to live in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and then there's a group who are North Carolina writers. You know? <laughs> yeah. And we, you know, we're friends. We like each other. We all understand that. But it's it, it just fascinates me how, um, I, and I guess part of it is. Are we how connected we are to the past of that particular place? Maybe that's um, it. maybe that's it. Yeah, yeah. But they don't call you a southern writer. They don't call me a southern writer. I mean, most of my novels have been set primarily in England, so I can understand why oh. they don't call me a southern writer. My new yeah. novel is set in New York City. Right. Um, but but my first novel, The Bookman's Tale, about a third of it was set in a, a fictional southern university town. Um, so maybe I, I I've written a third of a southern novel. I'm not sure. No, I- <laughs> <laughs> so, talking about the past, as we just sort of touched on that, there's a certain element in parts of your narrative of that I would describe as the things aren't what they used to be. Oh, yes. Narrative, and and I I think you know particularly of this this speech fairly early on in this book about the state of of um, medical affairs and how doctors don't operate the same way that they used to because of. Um, all the administration and everything else. Uh, how do you see the South in particular as having changed in the 20 years since you invented Abbotsville? Ooh, the South, and I can't speak for the or, whole or, South. Or American life in general. Um, but I will tell you, I, I am stunned at the changes in, in the medical profession. Mm-hmm. My husband is an obstetrician gynecologist, and when we first moved to Hendersonville, there were probably... 15, 16, 17 physicians in the county. And now, you know, and the hospital is spread out, and every, nobody works for themselves anymore. They work for the hospital. Mm-hmm. It's an entirely different world. And um, I don't like it. Miss Schuster doesn't yeah, either. Yeah. <laughs> um, but things really have, and of course, the little town has changed. Now, Abbotsville hasn't changed very much. But Hendersonville has with a lot of retirees, yeah. and they bring bring their own ways of doing things and how they want things done. They they moved away from the north because they didn't like it, <laughs> and then they come down and want to change. Well, we did it this way, yeah. and so and so. So, I mean, I wonder if, if you said Abbotsville hasn't changed much, and I wonder if that's one of the attractions to your it, maybe it's readers. Safe. They readers know what they're getting, yeah, and. Um, Oh, I get a lot of this. People, will, women will write me and say, I'm 72 years old, and I want to be like Miss Julia when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> so they they really have a a personal attachment to yeah, her, yeah. which is amazing. And I think, I think her, uh, at some, not always, but her sort of at sometimes dislike of change is something that, I mean, we all feel to some extent, but we especially do. as we get older, it, it becomes harder to deal with, with yes. how rapidly things change right now. You know? Can you imagine? Uh, yes. But, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know I have, I have aging parents who uh, I have to sort of sometimes run the go-between between my younger siblings or, or their grandchildren and my aging parents on the one hand the grandchildren, well, Grandma, why don't you know how to work this device and do this thing? And yeah. then, you um, know, the grandmother trying to <laughs> explain that, you know, Didn't you do, do something one way for 75 years and then they tell you how to, to do it something differently. It's not it's not an yes. easy adjustment. So. It's not easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you taught literature and you've taught at the university level. How has the study of literature shaped you as a writer? Oh, 
Well, I, w I went back to school when I was aged. I had, when I married, I um, had not gone to college, but over the years I finally got a bachelor's degree and then went on to Chapel Hill and got a couple of more degrees, all in literature. And uh, I, I don't, I, it gives me confidence in that I know what good literature is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mine does not, I'm not comparing mine, mine's lower than that, but there's a place for it down here. We were talking about that a while ago. Um, but I'm glad I've read it all. Yeah. And I, I, without consciously doing it, when I'm writing a Miss Judy story, I will put something in that's an allusion to a, a better book. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, some people recognize it and some won't, but that's all right. Yeah, it's, it. I, I love doing that in, yeah. in, in my novels. I've done that, too. Almost, there's almost always some little hidden Lewis yes. Carroll thing in there for, for my Lewis Carroll friends. You know? oh. um, and, yes, if, it doesn't, if you don't find it, it doesn't, it doesn't harm your no. enjoyment of the novel, but no. it's fun if you do. It's you fun, know? yeah. Um, and I think, you know, you, you say so you understand what, what great, a great book is or great writing is. And I think even if our novels are not, you know, we're not, you and I are not Tolstoy, we're not Dickens, yeah. but, <laughs> but we, by reading the great novels, we can, even on a sentence level, look at one of our own sentences and saying, that's a good sentence, or no, I need to make that a better sentence. Exactly, you know? um, exactly, yeah. Uh, and, and I think if you have those, that experience of having read widely oh, and deeply. I'm, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm so glad I had it. Yeah. Are there particular authors who, who influenced you or who you especially enjoyed reading or teaching over um, the years? Well, my emphasis in the PhD program is a medieval studies. Mm -hmm. And um, I just love all that. So, no, not I don't think any of that's influenced my writing yeah, at all. Yeah. Uh, I really didn't take a whole lot of uh, modern literature courses. I stuck with the with the early ones. Yeah. So I feel like sometimes my brain is divided into uh, where I study and try to keep up with Latin. And over here, keep up with Miss Julia or right, something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and what about your students? Did you do you ever hear from from former students who have become admirers of your books? Well, I used to keep up with a young man who was trying to write for him, himself, and then we just kind of lost contact. And then um, just last week, my daughter said she had met someone who had. Um, been in one of my writing classes because when I was teaching at UNC Asheville, they taught me into doing a writing class. Mm -hmm. When I wanted to teach Beowulf, they put me in a writing <laughs> class. I did not enjoy teaching writing, but this young woman remembered and said she had learned so much from me, mm -hmm. so I'm thankful for that. Um, but I just, uh, teaching writing is difficult. It is. They, yeah. For young people, they are so, they just are sure they're on to the great American novel. And if you give them, you can't say it's wonderful when you're trying to grade it, because yeah. it isn't. Yeah. Uh, so you have to tell a story if you say it's good, and then you encourage them in the wrong way. And if you give them constructive criticism, their little feelings are hurt. Right. I, I don't know how you teach writing. I, I think really it's, I think it's difficult because some of, you know, a lot of what we do is intuitive. Like yes. you said, you sit down and Miss Julia starts talking to you. You can't yeah. 
yeah, can't teach you, somebody you how can't to, teach you know. That. Um, and, and and a lot of it is just hard work. I mean, I I think of it as teaching somebody to run a marathon. Yes, you can teach somebody to have better form as a runner and you can help coach them. But really what they have to do is just go out and work really hard for a really long time. That's, that's what exactly. you have to do to be a writer too. That is not, true. And, and you're right. Sometimes the younger people don't want to hear that. They want there to be a, a trick to it. And there's no trick to it. There's right. no secret. Right. Or either they want this um, uh, stream of consciousness in their, in their diaries to mm -hmm. be wonderful. Uh, bless their hearts. You said that a lot of times you'll start out writing um, dialogue. Is do, do you find dialogue particularly? Do you Easy. find it easier to write? Or? Oh yes. Yeah. I could, yes. I write. I love to write dialogue. Yeah. Uh, I'm not very good at description, descriptive passages, though. People tell me, "Oh, I can see her house. I know. I see that room. I know everything." Um, but I, I don't do a lot of descriptive writing. Mm -hmm. I just I try to put. The, enough so they get the idea but uh yeah i could write the whole thing in dialogue i yeah. think I, i'm the same way i love to write dialogue mm -hmm. i was a i was a children's playwright for about 12 years and so i wrote almost nothing but dialogue yes of and course. so you get again you you exercise those muscles and yeah, that's, that's yeah, what you yeah, get good yeah. at you know? but don't you love going from one person to the other oh and, absolutely and getting their rhythmic speech as, and balanced off on the other one. Okay. And, and, so the, and the varying points of view, it, it almost feels like you're sitting on one side of a table and then you go sit around on the other side of the table and say, well, what would this yeah. person think about it? You know? <laughs> yeah, um, I have, you in, understand. In, in one of my novels, there's a, there's a long conversation between two of the main characters fairly early in the book. And I've had a lot of readers ask me, well, which, which side of that debate are you on? And I, I said, well, I can sort of see both points of view, which is what made it, and a, a not easy scene to write, but a fun scene to write uh -huh. because I could get completely behind one of those characters and, you know, make yes. her case. And then I could get behind the other one and make his case and sort of let the, let the two of them crash in the middle and let the reader <laughs> think what they will. Yeah. yeah. Miss Julia has been speaking her mind, if you will, for 20 years now. Now, I've changed a lot in the last 20 years. I imagine you've changed a lot in the tw last 20 years. Is Miss Julia different from... The person that she was 20 years ago? Mm-hmm. And is she, is she 20 years older than she was when the first book came out? Do not talk about age. Okay. <laughs> People ask me all the time, how old is Miss Julia? And my stock answer is, she won't tell me, and I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> so, yeah. Little Lloyd, people have noticed Little Lloyd has grown older. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but she doesn't seem to have, nor do any of the others. But anyway, what was the question? Well, just oh, if, yeah, has she changed, changed over the, over the yeah, years? She, yeah, she has. Obviously, um, she changed in that first book with her attitude toward the little boy. Yeah. And they have become closer, much closer as he has grown up, even though he's in high school now yeah. and gotten his first car, um, they still have a very strong relationship. And, um, and that's made her view things a little differently. But of course, in that first book, she was hurt, humiliated, angry to find out what her husband had been doing all these years when she thought she was somebody in this little town. People have been laughing and snickering behind mm -hmm. her back. Mm -hmm. But she's faced them all down, and she's also learned that if Wesley Lord Springer left her all this money, she can use it like she wants to. Mm -hmm. And she does. The, there are certain challenges, I'm sure, in writing 
a, a heroine. I'm not going to use the word old. I'm going to say a heroine of some maturity mm-hmm. um, and and rewards as well. What what do you see as the the hurdles that you have to overcome writing writing somebody of that age? And what do you see as the the things that you enjoy most about that? Mm-hmm. You're writing about an older person? Yeah, yeah. Well, see, she's not that much older than I am, uh-huh. so I'm just, <laughs> I, I kind of understand her. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, for one thing, um, I know what it was like, the way she was before that first book, if she, if she had existed before that first book, right. of living in a small town and being one of the society ladies doing mm-hmm. everything just right, having teas and coffees yeah. and belonging to the book club and you do all of this stuff and your life just means nothing. And then all of a sudden to have it completely changed yeah. and uh, all the th- things that she might have thought about and would have never dared to say or even continue thinking about beforehand, she now says yeah. and, and owns them. Owns these things. Mm-hmm. It's all right to be angry. Yeah, yeah. Our local paper here, the Winston-Salem Journal, writes of your development of characters that you create characters through quirks, names, and mannerisms. And when I read that that triptych of ways of creating characters, I immediately think of the great characters, craftsmen like like Dickens and like J.K. Rowling, you know, who who can just name a you know you name yeah, a character yeah, Uriah yeah. Heep or Severus Snape, and you immediately <laughs> know what to think of that person. What do you think is the key to creating characters that are that are not only realistic but also memorable? Well, I don't know, Charlie, because when I, when I need a new character, <clears throat> um, I can picture it. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, his name, his or her name comes with the picture. Yeah. A lot of times they don't. Maybe it's just one name, so I go to the phone book. Mm. And um, uh, But if I can picture what he has on, what kind of work he does, and that sort of thing, it's just a few little things that make them stand out, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I never think of it as being anything special. I just do it. But I think, you know, as we talk about the people we know in our lives, we'll, we'll say, oh, well, you know, he's the one with the funny voice or she's the one who, with the nervous hand or, you know, right. also right. often we, we will identify people marks. Yeah. By, yeah, by some sort of some little mm-hmm. thing that sets, mm-hmm. them, sets them aside. And we do that with yeah. our characters, too. Oh. I, I love that you said you go to the phone book. You know, we, we may have younger listeners who don't really know what a phone book is. You know, um, and it, do you guys still have a phone book in Hendersonville? Yeah, well, but it or didn't do have keep... very many names yeah, in it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it, what because are we that used do? to be the thing where we all went yes. for character names was to the phone book, and now it's not so easy anymore. You know, oh my goodness! They all think it's Weird. modern technology, but um, <coughs> I have yeah. I, when I'm writing historical characters, I have on the shelf over there <coughs> a, a four volume set of. <coughs> it's essentially the um, Oxford University alumni directory for, oh, oh, for the alumni. 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries. Oh, so it's great word. for, of um, course, it's only men, so we can't, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not good for women's characters. Just, just on the subject of characters. Okay. In the new book, or in any of the books, are, do you have particular favorite characters other than Miss Julia, ones that yes. you particularly enjoy spending time with? Elmay Wiggins. Mm-hmm. I really like that girl. Tell us a little bit about her. Well, um, she's youngish. I guess 
we'd have to say she's in her mid to late 30s now. She's been married about three times. Mm -hmm. And um, she's just a little country girl who's trying to better herself and doesn't know how to do it very well. Um, I really enjoyed it. See, I wrote one book about her. It's called um, My Worst Bad Luck Day. Mm And um, Miss Julia is just a minor character yeah, in it, yeah. and it's Edamay's story. And I, I get so many interesting comments on that. Some people were very disappointed it wasn't a Miss Julia book. <laughs> they did not like it. Other people said, please write another one about Edamay. I just love that book. But anyway, I, she tugs at my heart. Yeah, yeah. She wants so badly to do right and to get somewhere and better herself. Yeah. And it rarely works. I, Craig Johnson and I had a, a discussion about this next question uh, in relation to his hero, Walt Longmire, who's the hero. He's a sheriff who's the hero of a, a, a long series of books, as, yes. as yes. Miss Julia is the hero of a long series of books. And it's, it's probably a question that we all think about, but especially if you're writing a, a book in series. Have you thought about how it might end? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I'm not going to ask you to tell us or give no, anything no, away, no, but no, I'm just, not, I'm just no, curious to no. know, as you work, do you uh, have an ultimate end in mind? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I do. Um, and, and it's interesting because the way my publisher works is we do, they offer a contract for two books. Yeah. And at the end, as the end grows closer, I'm, almost, I'm just positive and they're not going to do it again. Yeah. But they have kept doing it. Yeah. So I have no idea when it will end, but I do have something in mind. Yeah. I mean, I'm reminded of Agatha Christie, who famously wrote the, the, the final Hercule Poirot book years before she died, but to be published after her death, you know, so that, that, oh, I didn't know that. yeah. So as soon as, as soon as she passed away, it, the book in which Hercule Poirot dies at the end, uh, you know, is, um, but I, so I I'm, I'm fascinated by people who are writing in series wondering, like, yeah. do you have it blotted out at the end? <laughs> We like to end every episode of Inside the Writing <coughs> Studio with the same 10 questions. Oh, goodness. You, you should be able to answer each of them in just a few words, but oh, okay. hopefully they'll give us all don't, something to think about. do true and false. Or oh, no, no, they're not true and <laughs> false. These are, there's no, no oh, grading geez. this pop oh, quiz. Yeah. So, What word do you love to work into your writing? Unlikely. What word do you hate to encounter in other people's writing? When they write... Um, like instead of as. Mm. Where is your favorite place to write? At my dining room table looking out over the back garden. Mm. Where could you never write? Where did do I never? Where, where could you never write? Mm. I'm not sure anywhere. I think I could, <laughs> yeah, I could write anywhere. To what rule of grammar do you pay least attention? <laughs> I use a lot of dashes. <laughs> <laughs> What's the first book you remember reading? Uh, first book, I, I really don't. The book that I loved as a was my friend Flicker. Mm. What book are you reading now? The Decline of the Roman Empire. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what book would you like to have written? Oh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, me too. <laughs> What sort of book would you like to write but probably never will? Oh, well, this is going to sound stupid. 
I'd like to do, I don't know what you would call it, an exposition of the 23rd Psalm in Latin. Mm. And finally, what would you like to hear a reader tell you? I just love it when a reader tells me, your books have meant so much to me when I was going through such a hard time. Mm, yeah. This has been Inside the Writer's Studio. I'm your host, Charlie Lovett, and the podcast is sponsored by Bookmarks, a literary nonprofit that runs the largest annual book festival in the Carolinas and operates a new community gathering place and nonprofit independent bookstore in downtown Winston-Salem, North Carolina. To find out more about Bookmarks and all its programs, visit www.bookmarksnc.org. My guest today has been Ann B. Ross, whose new book, Miss Julia Takes the Wheel, is available wherever books are sold. Ann, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Inside the Writer's Studio posts new shows on the 15th and last day of every month. In the coming months, I'll be talking to novelists, short story writers, and nonfiction writers, so be sure to tune back in. Until then, thanks for listening, and may you read with wonder and write with passion. Thank you.